Okay, well, if you would turn in your worship guide to the sermon text, or if you have your Bible and you'd like to use that, we're in Psalm 16. This will be our last uh, message in the Psalms for a little while. Next week, Reverend Pat Roach will take us a three-week journey uh, in the Apostles' Creed. I'm picking up where he left off last time. And then after that, we're going to hit... Um, we're going to go through the first two chapters of the book of Luke during the season of Advent uh, through what we have come to know as the Christmas story. And I think that will be really awesome. Looking forward to that. And then after that, we'll come back to the songs for a few weeks. So, Psalm 16, that's where we are now that we're all oriented. Uh, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm, this prayer. I pray that this morning it would be our prayer, our psalm. Lord, we thank you for the safety and security that you give to us, your people. And that you offer to the whole world. I pray that during this time you would deepen our understanding for the security that you give. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who rest fully in your everlasting arms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so the last two weeks we did Psalm 14 and then we did Psalm 15. 
And Psalm 14 and 15 are related. They both sort of answer the same question, which is, who gets to be close to God? And in both of those, we saw that the answer ultimately is Jesus. (laughs) And we saw that those of us who are in Christ join Jesus in getting close to God. Psalm 14 helped us to see that no one is righteous. No one on their own merits has any sort of righteousness to get close to God. Psalm 15 helped us to see that righteousness is required to get close to God. And the description of the righteous person is a description of the Lord Jesus himself. So we've been talking a lot about who gets to be close to God. And the answer is Jesus. And we take what we learn from the rest of the Bible... And we know that if you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, if you are attached to him by faith, then you get to go with him into God's presence. That's Psalm 14 and 15. Psalm 16 today is a little bit different, but it builds on the truths that we picked up in 14 and 15. Psalm 16 is all about security in the Lord. It's about the safety and security that God offers. Now, the safety and security that God offers and that he gives, he gives to those who live in his presence. He gives to the people who come close to him in Christ. So do you see how these are connected and they build off of each other? So far we've learned that none of us have what it takes to be close to God. Jesus is the only one of us who has what it takes, so we're going to follow him into God's presence. And now today, we're learning that in God's presence with Jesus, what we can expect to find there, what we can expect to find there and take with us into the world and into the rest of our lives, is a kind of safety and a kind of security that we can find nowhere else. And that's the message of Psalm 16. Safety and security, something that we all long for. It's part of basic human, we can call it basic human instinct, to look for and search for, seek out safety and security. All of us, from a newborn baby to somebody at the end of their life, we all want to be safe. We all want to be secure. As I sat and studied and prepared, I was thinking, maybe I can think of some examples to prove that to you. But then I realized that that would be a waste of time. Because I think we all know, I want to be safe. Don't you want to be safe? As individuals, we want to be safe and secure. We want to know that we're okay. As a church, we want to feel like we're safe, like we're established. Our church is very small. We live in one of the most unchurched cities in the country. Many of us have friends and neighbors that think what we're doing is is super weird. They're kind of worried about us. And we want to feel like we're secure here, don't we? Our communities uh, in Portland, we want to feel safe. We're worried about crime. People in Vancouver want to feel safe. All of us want to feel in our country, all over the world. We are safe-loving people. So Psalm 16 is all about the safety that God gives. Now, 
When it comes to the safety and the security that God offers us to his people, if we would just, if we approach that as like a theme, what does the Bible have to say about this kind of security that God gives to his individuals and to his people? If we were going to tackle that whole theme, then I could stand here and we could tackle it for 36 hours without stopping and still not mind the depths of it. It is a huge topic. So this morning, uh, we don't have 36 hours, and I've been preaching over time, so I want to be careful not to do that this morning. So we're, we're just going to try to cover the things about safety and security that are explicitly stated in this particular psalm. Okay? So there might be some things that we pass by and you go, I want to know more about that. And I would encourage you, if we pass by something that you want to know more about and we don't hit it, then I want to encourage you to talk to each other about it. If you came with somebody else or a group, talk about it on the way home. Pray about it this week. There's so much for us here. Okay? So, Psalm 16, the safety and the security that God gives to the people who draw near to him. I want to point out three things about the security that God offers to his people from Psalm 16. Here's the first one. We find it in verses 1 through 4. If you're a note taker, this is your number one. The safety, the security that God offers is exclusive. The security that God offers is exclusive. Listen to verses 1 through 4. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Verse 3. No, just verse 1 and 2. Yeah, just verse 1 and 2 for now. Okay, sorry, got mixed up with my notes. It's exclusive. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Okay, Charlie, what do you mean that the security God offers is exclusive? What I mean is this. God offers security to his people in the context of exclusive relationship with him. It's in the context of an exclusive relationship with God. That we as God's people get to take a hold of, get to claim the safety and security that he offers. That's when we get it. In exclusive relationship. David says, keep me safe, my God. You are mine. You belong to me. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, that's all capitals, that's Yahweh, that's God's covenant name. You are my Lord. That I love in English, it says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. But you see, the first Lord is all caps, that's Yahweh. So he's saying, I say to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, you are my Lord. That second Lord, we get, in English, we use the word Lord to, as one of God's names. But it, it actually means something. It means, and we use it this way in English too, it means master. 
If somebody is a lord, then they are a master. If you are the lord over somebody, then you are that person's master or boss. David is saying, I say to Yahweh, the God of Israel, you are my boss. You are my master. You are over me. And apart from you, outside of this relationship, I have nothing good. David here is, he's going on about the exclusivity of his relationship with God. What I mean is, he is dedicated to one God, not multiple gods. And he knows that this one God is dedicated to him, personally, in the community in which he lives. People of Israel, personally. There is an exclusive relationship. This is covenantal language. We find this all throughout the Old Testament. Remember last year when we did like 14 weeks going through the story of Abraham? Remember that? We talked a lot about God's covenant with Abraham. How God picked Abraham and all the people in the world. And he told him, I will be God to you. Now, you walk before me and be blameless. I'm picking your family. You are mine. I'm your God now. Turn away from all this other stuff. Me and you, buddy. Remember that? God established that covenant. That's the context that David is speaking in. He's referring back to that covenant and taking ownership as one of the people who belong to God. He's making that personal. Exclusive relationship. Now, uh, I think a good, uh, I think a good metaphor, maybe analogy for us to kind of nod to as we think about what David is showing us about security and exclusivity with God is how we, in our culture, uh, in our romantic relationships, the moment where a couple moves from an open dating relationship to an exclusive. Uh, now, depending on how old you are and what generation you come from, we call it different things. When I was growing up, we called it uh, uh, dating, and then once you became exclusive, we called it going out. Or uh, we called it seeing somebody, and then at some point they become your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. There, there's like a point in time, and usually it comes with what we call the DPR, the Define the Relationship Talk. And you sit down and you talk, okay, what's going on here? And you make a decision together. We're going to be exclusive. This is the thing now. Now, I'm 39. So those of you who are older, maybe you called it going steady. Or I've seen that on TV. I don't know what you called it. Or people who are younger, I don't know what you call it. Maybe it has something to do with TikTok or something. But I don't know. But I think we all, there, there's a point. Now, why do we do that? Why do we go through, uh, in our romantic relationships, why is there a before and after exclusivity moment? I think it's because we all know that exclusivity brings richness and brings security. Once you move from ambiguous dating to, no, we're, we're together, we're exclusive. Define the relationship. 
I know at least for me, Becca and I really, it was such a relief. I didn't have to worry if she liked me anymore. We were in life. There was security there. And it brings richness. There was, there was a foundation in order to cultivate the feelings that, that we had for each other. In order to cultivate our desire to build something. And then we had another marker where the exclusivity got turned up called engagement. And when the exclusivity got turned up, so did everything else. And then we had that other marker where the exclusivity became final and set in stone forever and ever. Marriage. And everything went richer and deeper and more secure. David is showing us that an exclusive relationship with God... The deeper we go into exclusivity, the deeper we go into security. Keep me safe, O God, in you I take refuge. You are mine. You are my Lord. And outside of you, nothing is good. He goes on and he says in verse 3, I say to the holy people in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is my delight. But David is saying that exclusivity in our relationship with God doesn't, it's not just about our relationship with Him, it actually connects us to other people that are on the same path. David laying into the covenant relationship with God actually connects him to other people. Because you know that's what we're doing here. We are all different. We talked about before. Beautiful thing about this church, and I believe that the way God designed the church. Except for different ages. Best case scenario in Christ's church, what it looks like is people of different ages, different backgrounds, different languages, different ethnicities, different races, different politics, different cultures, all coming together because God has called them together by calling them to Himself. So David looks around. I have to, there's so many of us. There's security in numbers. And then David does something interesting. He looks at, he considers the alternative to exclusivity in relationship with God. He considers openness. And he says, not for me. Look at verse 4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods. Or take their name upon my lips. Now, in David's time, there was a thing going on uh, in Israel. In fact, this was a thing that went on in Israel from the time the people, even just before they entered the land, this had started. And it went on all the way until they were exiled. And this thing was this presence of other peoples, other religious groups... Who lived in the land, who worshipped other gods. Who were always trying to get the Israelites to adopt their gods. One of the predominant Canaanite gods that neighbors of Israelites would worship is a god that was named Baal or Baal. Depending on who you ask and who taught them how to say it. (laughs) I like to say Baal because I grew up in the Mid-South. And that's how we talk. Right, Chip? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Baal. Baal was uh, 
a Canaanite god, and Baal was the god of farming and weather and fertility. Now, if you lived in an agrarian society where your income and your family's welfare depended on the crops that you bring in, and the people to work your land depended on how many kids you were going to have, and you were surrounded by neighbors with guns and swords, well, I guess just maybe swords and spears, who loved this God Baal, the temptation to say, oh, I worship Yahweh, but I'll go give a nod to Baal worship would be high. Because Baal is the God that's going to make sure you have a good harvest. Baal is the God that's going to make sure there's going to be enough rain and not too much. Baal is the God that's going to make sure you have enough kids. And Baal is the God who's going to make sure that your neighbors don't come and try to overrun you. Furthermore, worship of Baal involved uh, licentious sexual activity. So, if you worship Baal, there's this promise of gratification of your lust. Also, worship of Baal very often included self-mutilation or child sacrifice. Now, this is grotesque. But, if you really want the security that you think that you really need and you're surrounded by all these Baal worshippers, there is something about, oh, there's something I can do. There is something I can offer. There is a God I can manipulate. Something about that is attractive. We can see that money, sex, and power, the gods of our age, are not so different than Baal worship. Power, influence in the community, power to manipulate, you know, the, the deity, money, the, the fertility, prosperity, and sex, gratification of lust. Now, the people had this problem of trying to worship Yahweh and worship Baal. But Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the, the Lord, he had this thing about exclusivity. Exodus 23, the first of the commands. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods but me. What David is saying is he's gone on about this exclusive relationship with Yahweh. And then he looks around at his the people around him and says, The ones that have this thing, I see that they're delighted. And I delight in them. But the ones that try to mix in this other thing, their drink offerings... That's what Israelites would offer at the tabernacle every day, was wine. Not that different than what we do here. Their drink offerings are offerings of blood. I'm not going to participate there. What David is showing is that there is... I want to say no compromise. I also want to be careful because that's a phrase that's been hijacked by like hardcore political culture wars. And I don't mean it in that way. But what I do mean is that there was no such thing as, yes, I worship Yahweh on Saturday or Sunday. But then during the week, you know what? Business is business. Crops are crops. Sex is just sex. And we got to get things done. David is saying, that's a drink offering of blood. And I want no part in that. So, 
The security that God gives comes in exclusivity. It's exclusive. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. The security that God offers is liberating. It's liberating. It's exclusive and it's liberating. Look at verse 5. David says, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. I just, isn't it cool that he contrasts like the drink offering of blood now with this cup that's filled with like the Lord? Anyway, that's cool. He said, it's the, the security God offers is liberating. He says, you, O Lord, are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. And with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's liberating. Boundary lines. David talks about God as his portion, as his cup. He talks about his lot. Boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. He talks about his inheritance. What is he talking about? Well, in the passage we read earlier when the Apostle Paul was was preaching a sermon about the history of the people of Israel, he alluded to the time when the Israelites entered into Canaan, came out of Egypt, went into Canaan. And during that time, God had allotted different plots of land, specifically to the different 12 tribes and the clans and the families within the tribe. So if we were Israelites in that time, we would go into the land and there would be a plot of land for your family within a plot of land for your clan, bigger family unit, within a plot of land for your tribe, within the whole land for our people group. So when David talks about the boundary lines, his lot, his portion, that's what he's referring to. He's using the land allotment of the promised land as a metaphor for what God has given him in life. The station God has given him in life. Or as we read in Acts during our confession and assurance, how God determines the years and the places we live. The life that God had given David, the inheritance, if you will. David says it has boundaries, but those boundaries are broad. Now, this is liberation language. Let me show you. Are you guys familiar with it? It's a little anecdotal. Preachers talk about it a lot. There's, there was. I don't even know if it actually happened. It's... It's mythology now. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. The playground fence study with playground children. You guys heard about this? Where there was there was a study that was done. I, I haven't seen the actual study, but I've seen articles about it, and I've heard lots of people talk about it. But there was a study that was done with children at school, like small children, first, second grade, kindergarten, that kind of thing, uh, and a playground where they went out to recess with the teacher in a playground, no fence. And they studied how far out the kids would go during recess. And without the fence, the kids stayed close to the teacher. Because it's dangerous. There's there's a road, there's cars, there could be stray dogs, you never know. And then the next day, they took them to a different playground, or in some versions of the story, they installed a fence around the perimeter. Wherever they were, there was a fence around the perimeter. And the teacher comes out with the kids. But this time, because there was a fence... 
The kids didn't stay close to the teacher. They went out all the way to the boundaries and covered the whole playground. You heard about this? And the moral of the story is that boundaries bring freedom. Now, that's a great story. And it's a good moral. That is not what this is talking about. David says, the boundaries that you have given me, have, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. My lot is secure. My inheritance is delightful. And maybe there's some truth to the fact that God has given him a station in life so he can really stretch his legs. But the point he is trying to make is that the boundaries in which the God has put around his life, the portion that God has given him, the inheritance God has given him is rich, secure, and liberating because what's inside of those boundaries is God himself. Listen to the passage again. Lord, Yahweh, you alone are my portion and my cup. And I'll just stop right there. We got it. What David is saying is that God, you have, we see this in other parts of scripture. You have given me a time and a place. You have put me in a particular context in the world. You have put boundaries around my life. I think we can think about God's law. The, the, the do's and the don'ts. You have given me a vocation. You have given me a family. You've given me all of these things. And the lot that you have given me in life is rich. Not because of what you have given me in the physical world that I can see. But because you yourself in our covenant relationship have come to inhabit this space. And what I have in life is rich and beautiful and free because you live here. That's what David's saying. And that's liberating because no matter how the boundary lines have fallen in your life or in my life, no matter what your living situation is like, no matter what your income situation is like, no matter what your relationships are like, what your family is like, your job is like, no matter what any of the boundaries that determine your path in life, how wide or narrow it is, when you are close to God in Christ, in the context of exclusive covenant relationship, your lot, your inheritance, your boundaries are rich and secure, and you are not bound by them. You are free because God lives in that space. This is a kind of security that the world can never offer you. No matter what your external situation is like. No matter what your context is like. You could never be restrained. You can never be held down by them. Your treasure can never be taken away. Because your treasure is God. And he lives with you. He doesn't just live with you. He allies with you. David says, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's like when Jesus said, if God is for us, is it Jesus or Paul? Maybe. Careful, Charlie. One of them said, if God is for us, who can be against? I think it was Paul. Maybe it was Jesus. 
Somebody, it's in the New Testament. God is for us, who can be against us? David is, God doesn't just live with you, he allies with you. And even when it's hopeless, David says, even at night. Guys, this is, you know, you know what community, uh, you know what, what people group, what community, what institution really exemplifies this? Better than any other institution I think I can I can think of in America. It's the black church. Uh, a number of weeks ago, some of us here uh, were privileged to receive an invitation to attend an evening worship night at a, at a black church in the city. And we went, and it was, oh, it was so awesome. If you've had the opportunity to visit a worship service in a traditional black church, then you know that their worship tradition is joyful, it's hopeful, it's free, it's liberating. You know how it came to be that way? Under years and years and years of white oppression, beginning in slavery, Moving on through slavery for generations, and then through Jim Crow even till today. Generations of black Christians learned to locate their security in the favor that God had give, given them and shown them in the gospel. Generations of Christians who received no favor from the external world. In fact, received the opposite of favor, oppression. Beaten down Monday through Saturday, walked into church on Sunday, and leaned into the liberating power of the gospel. And that liberating power poured out through their affections and worship, and began to cultivate a tradition of liberation, a culture of freedom, that those of us that didn't grow up in that community can appreciate, but don't quite fully understand, except from afar. And out of that worship school, out of that affectionate furnace, out of that school of worship is where God raised up leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., who helped to bring the liberation that comes through the gospel to the to our internal person and to the internal community. Helped to take that and move it to the outside. So it would overflow into the community, into the city, into the culture. So the security that God offers comes in exclusive relationship with him through Jesus Christ, our covenant mediator. And it brings liberation and security deep down in our hearts and in our communities. But it also flows out. And we become proclaimers and teachers of liberation in our communities and in our families. Showing other people what God does. Through the gospel, reconciling sinners to himself and making all things new. 
So you see that the security that God gives is not just a private security. It doesn't separate us from the culture. But it gives us something that we can go into the culture and be agents of renewal. Renewal that comes from God. We can be the secure ones in the context of an insecure world. We can be the not afraid ones. We can be the confident ones. Because what God has given us in our relationship with Him in Christ makes us unshakable. Not because we have not not because we have the gods of the world on our side. The political gods or business monetary gain gods or sex gods. Those things have their place. And their place is not as gods. But when Yahweh, the one true God, when His reaching out to the world in Christ, when that is our tether to eternity and to truth and to confidence, when the line between our heart and the throne in heaven where Christ sits is secure through faith in what He has done, We live with a secure safety and confidence that can never be shaken. And it becomes a live wire through which God acts in the world. So it's exclusive, it's liberating, and then the last, and we're already into it a little bit, it's eternal. It's not just for the here and now. It's not just for our outward relationships. It's not just for the economy. It's not just for our sidewalks and streets. It's not just for our suburbs. It's not just for our families. It's for eternal life. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. He's talking about death. Even in death. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. And you make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. David is talking about dying and going to heaven. You say, wait, Charlie, if all of this just comes down to we're secure because one day we're going to die and go to heaven and get a ticket out of this place. And how is all this beautiful live wire love and security supposed to be good for this world? Aren't we just getting a, a lifeboat off of a sinking ship? Well, you might think so. Except for twice in the book of Acts, this little verse, you will not let your faithful ones see to decay, is, we read one earlier, is applied to Jesus. Jesus is the one who died and went to heaven. At the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose and he ascended to heaven. So in the context of the whole Bible, this little part about our security being eternal, one day we're going to die and go to heaven, is not us getting a lifeboat off of this sinking ship. It's Jesus, our captain. Going to the grave to put it away 
rising from the dead, and then ascending into heaven to sit down as a human being, our Lord and our God, in one person who still, still is connected to this world in his heart and his people. Not to rescue us and give us a ticket out, but to one day come back and make all things new. And in the meantime, we are his ambassadors here. We are his hands and feet, if you will. We are his representatives. The hope for the world, the eternal hope, is a human hope. Because Yahweh, our covenant Lord and God, has come to secure all of this and bring us into it by becoming a human being. Not to give us a ticket out of here, but by buying himself a ticket here. We don't get a lifeboat off the sinking ship as much as we've got a captain who's to take up residence in it to make it sail in a whole new way.